0: I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it it buys a lot of things, one of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't (laughs) think. is a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but in their
1: minds, it's a threatening game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, welcome to another Baseball Ops podcast. Actually, it's been a while between this one and the last one. Um, good to have a special guest today who's, would I should just say, one of the other hosts at this point, uh, Jonathan Heisinger, or Coach Zinger. You know him from Coach Zinger app on um, Instagram and other social media. What's up, Zinger?
0: What's happening?
1: Well, cool. So um, what you're the one who kind of came to me to 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 get Paul on, um, you know, I I've known Paul for a while more professionally, got to spend some time with him um, just in Boston at the least baseball at the elite baseball pitching seminar, Mike Reynolds place, champion sports in Boston, and um, just got to spend more time with him. And He's just a great personality. So what inspired you to to bring Paul on, man?
0: You know, especially uh, back when we worked together with the 90-mile-per-hour club stuff and then through Fletch, you know, and I think that Paul's a guy that's been in the industry for a while, so when we're doing the baseball ops idea, I I figure it'd be good to talk to a guy like him that's, you know, been consistent in the business and, you know, been around.
1: He has. He's probably one of the pioneers of it you know you think of dick mills you know tom house and he actually spent some time working writing a book with tom house so you're perfect i mean he is someone that if you don't know who he is uh he's a good good name to know and he's he's been around and really knows what he's doing he um i probably should have asked him this in the interview but he helped run i don't know if he i think he still does the yogi berra camp um
0: i I asked him earlier about it because it's I had the chance to go down there and check it out. It was really cool. Uh, yeah,
1: tell everybody what it is.
0: It's basically a Yogi Berra baseball museum. Um, and then it's connected to, I want to say, the New Jersey Jackals play there. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, a nice little stadium right there. And then it's just, you know, it's got a bunch of old, awesome memorabilia and just a, a cool environment. We love baseball.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was telling me in Boston how they really do a lot of good th- things there. I think a lot of kind of charity stuff there as well. Um, it's pretty cool and what he's been involved with 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 Yogi Berra. So, cool. Well, um, this is gonna be a good interview. I I wanted to, and we both did. We both wanted to bring him on to talk about player development, kind of the state of the union for baseball. Um, it, it's going to be pretty negative up front, which unfortunately I think that's where baseball's kind of gone lately. But we we do end it with a positive note, so I'd say stay um, stay th- and listen to the whole thing because at the end uh, we, we we bring it into a positive light and it's something that you can come out of and, and hopefully it's a it's a whole paradigm uh, or a pers- different perspective for you and understanding how you really need to look at baseball in your life um, as a player as a parent. Um, I think we, we really give that to you at the end. Anything you want to say before we start the interview?
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely worth listening to. I mean, obviously, as coaches, you know, at the youth level, we're aware of that there's things that are off, you know, and and as player developers, yourself and I, I know that we see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, um, but basically, you know, if if you take the time to listen, I think you'll you'll really
1: appreciate the message here. So, All right, so here it goes. Let's check out the interview. All right, this is going to be an exciting show today. We got the Zinger here. We got Coach Zinger with Coach Zinger App uh, on the line. We also got Paul Riddick uh, here. If you don't know who Paul Riddick is, he's been online for ages. He's a pioneer. He's been um, really driving, uh, I'd say, pitching instruction pitching velocity, uh, before me, which, uh, is impressive. I feel like I've been doing this forever (laughs) and, uh, is zinger as well. We're all kind of like, uh, some of the originals here. What's, what's, uh, what's left over of, of pitching instruction online. So, um, what do you want to add to that, Paul? I know we've been doing this for a while. It's awesome having you on the show, man. Uh, thanks for doing this.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we started in 2000, we put up our first website in 2000, and um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride, for sure. Um, You know, it's funny is that I think so many things have changed, but uh, sometimes we focus so many times on the things from a development standpoint that have changed, but um, when you kind of have a satellite view on it, you realize fewer things, uh, I mean, more things have not changed than have changed. Um, but it just seems like the conversation is always around, you know, uh, uh, you know, where the shiny objects are, you know, but, but in my opinion, so many things have stayed the same. If I'm looking back over 18 years, or will be 18 years in September that we're doing this. Um, yeah, I would say more, more things have stayed the same than have changed, but it's not a really the conversation is for
1: sure. Exactly. I think you nailed it perfectly. And some <clears throat> things we'll be talking about today is exactly what, what you're talking about. But. Just to kind of go back to the legacy here, so you've been on since 2000, um, yeah. doing this online. Zinger, when it, when did you first get on?
0: I'd say, let's see, Fletch and I recorded the pitching training from the ground up
1: in 2006. So Damn, I right think, when I got on. You yeah. got on like the same time.
0: Yeah, probably right around then, 2000... I would even have to go back. It feels like yesterday in so many ways and feels like a lifetime ago
1: at the same mm. time. <clears throat> P- Paul, do you remember Fletch? Oh yeah. Yeah. How could you forget Fletch? <laughs> uh, tell tell uh, us, yeah, tell he's... us what you remember of Fletch. Um, <laughs>
2: um, I can't tell the story. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell the story. That's my favorite story. Um, okay. for sure. Um, I, I, I I would say probably the thing that I remember the most um, was him getting a a cell phone. And uh, I don't know if he was calling me from the back of uh, of a fishing boat or he was on the water. (laughs) And every like about 45 seconds, he would check in to see if I was still there. And like he like it was almost like that Zoolander clip. You know, he's like the files are in the computer. (laughs) You know, Fletch was like, "Well, I don't know." You're still hearing me, and he was like, "I'm fishing and talking to you," and it was like this whole like thing. uh, And and uh, and so that's yeah. But there are a few other
1: memorable things that. uh, Well, Zinger, tell everybody who. (laughs) Tell everybody who Fletch was. Tell them about the legacy of Fletch.
0: Yeah, so Fletch. uh, I first met Fletch when I was in high school, and at the time he was coaching at uh, Jacksonville State University. I think is where he was at, and then. I had the privilege of pitching with Fletch, my senior year at Michigan State. He was our pitching coach. and then uh, basically from there continued to I trained guys with him during the off season, and then he's he was the one who came up with the grand idea of starting to videotape some of the stuff and then you know basically to share with his guys. you know, and I think that's I want to say that's how we got introduced somehow through there, too. Right, Paul?
2: Yeah, yeah. It was Fletch. Yeah. It was right around there, 2008, 2007, somewhere around there. And I know he found you as well online,
0: too, Brent, right? Where he had... Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I was saying he was obviously a great networker because I think we've all probably... I met Fletch before I met you, Zanger, and and I think Paul... Actually, Paul, we probably had talked before that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he was... Juice Plus, right? He was getting me on Juice Plus. There you go. <laughs> and I actually did. I signed up with Juice Plus. He was so convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so, yeah. He
0: definitely had a, a contagious personality, you know. I think that's you know, he, he definitely inspired me to to kind of share that with the students, you know, and to to be a student of the game but also to have fun while you're doing it, you know, and go out and you know, he would he loved to compete. You know, he loved to even talk about, like, his bow and arrow. He'd shoot his bow and arrow and compare it to, uh, you
1: know, striking
0: dudes out, you know, with the bases. Lifted, you know,
1: <laughs> he, he was very enthusiastic, man. He would always call up and be like, I really love how you're doing this and want to talk about it. And, like, he was just a good dude. He's a really good person. Yeah, buddy. Well, cool. Well, um, I guess we could say we miss you, Fletch. And, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Let's let's go into some player development. The reason I wanted to have you guys on we were talking about was talking about a little bit what your introduction was, Paul, about some of these, uh, the trends of today and really what's going on with player development and does baseball actually know what player development is and, and how well is it developing all the way up from the major league level all the way down to the, the youth level? I mean, I know that's a broad uh, topic here, but... Why don't we start talking about some of these the trends? Like you said, Paul, things really haven't changed, right? Because everybody's trying to find the quick fix. Um, talk more about that, Paul, and then tell me: is is the, do you see any evidence there might be a change? Is there some type of evolution here? Or are we just constantly? Is it like Groundhog's Day and it's just repeating itself? Well,
2: I think we're in, <clears throat> I, I I think we're in the midst of a change right now as we're recording this and February 2018, and, and the start of the midst of that change is, is that there's a lot of pitchers that have remained unsigned in free agency this winter, and um, I think what we're seeing, and these are guys that are two or three years ago were top pitchers in baseball, or top of the rotation pitchers, and are now having trouble finding a job, and I think right. we're seeing that there was a generation of pitchers in there that were just kind of wiped you know, there was that that Bonderman prior, uh, you know, Dontrell Willis generation that should still be pitching, should be should be putting the bow on a borderline Hall of Fame careers on all of them. And they're nowhere to be found. They're not even in baseball. Tim comes and guys like that. And I think what a lot of people, what a lot of the owners are probably seeing is that they're feeling the sting of some of the contracts that they wrote for guys early on. And they're not going to make those mistakes again. So <clears throat> that's all, I think that's all fine and good from a professional standpoint, you know, and, and I, I've, I've never been uh, I've never had a problem with professional baseball stances that, you know, professional baseball's job is not to develop players. Professional baseball's job is to win baseball games, fill seats, sell tickets, sell hot, you know, hot dog and beers and stuff like that. It's a business. We all get that. My, my concern is that is that how the professionalism of the youth game has changed. So I always describe it from a, from a development standpoint, the biggest crisis we have today in youth baseball is late developing players. So if we right. all have the we all have these iPhones attached to our hips, right? And so if we take out our phone app and we take a picture, it's, it's instantly developed. Um, and it goes to all our devices, right? It goes, it could go everywhere in, in a matter of seconds. And, and, and the problem with that, the problem today is that in, in, in baseball is that youth coaches as young as six years old are looking for what I call iPhones early developing fast-developing players and And they're looking at them in terms of what's their outcome and their outcome is that now they have to win six tournaments They've got to win ten tournaments so they got sure they got to feel the team That's going to compete so they could play you know at the seven-year-old level and of course I mean if you're not competing at seven How will you ever compete at eight you you know if you really want it and so so that that has moved down to where? They're not taking they're not early development skills, or it's they're not taking players that have the early development of skills. They're taking players that are early development genetically. You know that that's it. These kids are just a little bit bigger, faster, and stronger at a younger age. And it's it to me, it's the ultimate sign of the weakest coach. Is the weakest coach will recruit the genetically advanced players as early as they possibly can. Because I could take a bunch of kids. Who are bigger, faster, and stronger, and I could just collect enough of them to go out and just kind of beat, you know, beat up on all these other teams, and it makes me look like I know what I'm doing as a as a as a coach. On the other hand, <clears throat> there's what I call Polaroids. And Polaroids, if you guys all remember, you take the Polaroid picture and you gotta sit down, it takes some time to develop. And so um I've been traveling around so much this year. I've been, I don't even remember all the places that I've been, kind of, kind of pounding the, the pavement on this, where I look at I look at where we end up at 14 years old. And when we look at 14 years old, what do we know about the early developers? The early developers got scooped up by unqualified coaches to win classic trophies and fake rings. And we know that age 14, 13, 14, we know the pitchers are overused. We know the, the position players don't, don't seem to have it as bad as the pitchers, but we know the pitchers are overused. We know there's a huge burnout factor in these, these four, 13, 14-year-old kids. And because now we're getting this first generation that's really going all the way through, all the way through in this modern-day youth baseball. Now, the late developers, what do we know about them when they're 13 and 14? We know that they, they, they're not developed from a competitive standpoint. They have not had the competitive um, uh, development that they've needed. And the worst thing that could happen to a kid early on is, is a kid, is a, is a coach looks at a, at a Polaroid and he goes, you know, you're a nice kid. But i got to win six tournaments this year. And I just don't have time for you to develop. And so I've never had a problem with it on a professional level. Even on the college level, I've never had a problem with a coach saying, hey, I'm recruiting kids to win games. I've had college pitching coaches, I'm sure you guys have said, I don't don't have time to teach mechanics. I don't have time to, to, you know, I I need to get a horse in the race here that's going to pitch for me for three or four years and survive maybe one or two minor you know, flare ups with her arm and I have never had a problem with even with that. I guess for my issue in development is, is that we moved the prize down to where these travel ball organizations, these guys are smart. You know, it used to be when I'm sure when we all started coaching was how many kids did you get to college? How many, you know, how many kids did you move up the level? And that used to be the prize. And we used to say, you know, you develop yourself over the next three, four years and you get a shot maybe playing college or playing the varsity or. And now these travel ball organizations have created their own little ecosystem where they are they are controlling the entry point, the 6U, 7U, right? And they're indoctrinating these kids that the prize is can you get to the 12U team that goes to Canada, Mexico, California, Puerto Rico, and then maybe you'll get to the 14U team that travels to all the showcases and all this other kind of stuff. And they've drawn a circle around this ecosystem, and they're controlling the endpoint and the prize. And if there's one thing, if there's people that are in – development of baseball and or in college baseball, there are recruiters. Um, if you could take one thing to heart that I speak to parents every day, you guys are not the prize anymore. They are not thinking about you. They're thinking about you much later on down the line. And I gave this at um, a convention a few months ago that was like all professional college coaches, and I mean, you would think it was like a fart in church, man. It was like the, it was like uh, I, I was looking at guys looking back at me on the stage, like, um, yeah, like like I had just told him, you know, that Santa Claus wasn't real, and um, yeah. So sorry, sorry, I, I kind of went off on that. No, it, but, I mean that's, yeah, that's perfect, man. I
1: think you know, that's you just that's my laid out. Fears. I, well, I think you just encapsulated um, everything that's wrong with baseball, which I'm glad you did, because that's really what this podcast has been about, you know, is is kind of like um, I feel like, you know, really trying to flip it upside down and, and really look at it um, objectively and, and understand what's going on. And I, I don't think enough parents are doing that. They, they're just buying in to the trends or into the, the coach who has all the greatest players. And they're getting caught and becoming victims of this game. There's a lot of victims of this game. I mean, I yeah. think it's always been that way, but that's that's the unfortunate thing. I think you, you 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 painted the picture well, and that's that's the problem that we're dealing with. What do you what do you want to add to that, Zinger?
0: I mean, I see it at the at that level because when you do coach even against those kids um, with more of a developmental mindset, you know, it's like. The parents are upset because you're not playing in enough games or, you know, there's not enough tournament play, you know. And it's like if you're if you're really believing in long term development, you know, is that really what the main focus should be is winning games and trophies? You know, and I think, you know, Paul hit it right on the head where it's, you know, we need to to really develop athleticism and we need to develop, you know, skill sets versus. You know, just going out and in, in winning because you're you're bigger and stronger at that age, but then you get cut in high school. You know, or you, you don't make a college team or you know, you can continue to go with that. But you know, I think the the better athlete that's built from the ground up is gonna last longer.
1: Yeah, because I think the problem is we're not putting the player first, and that's what Paul's saying is yeah. we're putting the bi- <clears throat> the business first. And <clears throat> excuse me, that's unfortunate, you know. Yeah, and the other
2: thing is there's a trickle there's a trickle effect that has affected the instructional like the the competition instructional complex where we know we know that the top twelve year old does not translate into the top twenty-two-year-old. We don't see the kids we see at the Little League World Series at twelve years old, we don't see them ten years later. The odds are stacked way against them. I think mean, there's been like twenty-four people. In in not just played in the final game, I mean total in the Little League World Series that made it to the big leagues, and like three of them on one team, like Derek Bell, Dwight Gooden, and right. Gary Sheffield. And um, so when you think about it like that, we, we know that that doesn't translate. But if we take the top hundred basketball players, which the NBA is doing by the way, they're having like their own version of Little League World Series. If we take the top one hundred twelve year old basketball players. Man, I'll bet you we see a good number of them in the NCA tournament in in seven years, and a good number of them in the NBA later on down the line. So what's, what, what's concerning to me now is, as a person who educates a lot of dads and pitching coaches, is that parents now approach a pitching coach who may have been developmentally minded five or 10 years ago. And they go into that pitching coach now with an urgent concern. And that urgent concern is, my kid needs to throw harder. and my And it's not, it, like, we can't wait. So now, and I don't blame the guys who are in this business, because I understand they got to make a living, and they were kind of caught in it. But now the pitching coach is now forced to say, okay, well, if we want to add velocity or if we want to win these tournaments, um, then we have to do this. My friend Phil Rosengrid came up with that phrase. He said, you know, if we want to win this tournament, then we have to, in parentheses, compromise whatever value we're now faced with. And so, with, so what the pitching coaches are now faced with is, okay, now I have to do all these crazy things um, to get kids to throw harder. And we see the extremes that are out there now that people are going to, because that's the, that's the vibration of the industry. And so uh, a lot of parents, parents every day I'm on the phone with dads, coaching dads through this, and they said, well, why don't you know these guys, why don't they change it around and be developmental? Uh, developmentally minded switch back and I said because parents don't go into a pitching coach and say, um, I'm willing, I want my son to develop and I want him to develop right and I'm willing to sacrifice some short-term success to get there. They don't yeah, do that same,
1: yeah, but at the same time too, the industry enables them not to do that because right. most of them market to them on short-term fixes <clears throat>
2: right so so I, I was as a metaphor I would say, um, I start every seminar that I do for dads and I say, oh, write this down, write this down and your kids will pitch the best game ever. And if you want to leave after in the next, after 30 seconds from now, you can leave and your kid will pitch the best game. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. And I say, um, start them off about 15 minutes for the game, uh, four Advils and two Red Bull. <laughs> And your kid will pitch the best game he's ever pitched, And people start writing. You know, they're writing it. And they're, oh, And then they and I said, well, why won't you do that? And they're like, well, it's bad for him. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let me – now, that's a great introduction. Now let's start talking about all the other things you're doing that are bad for your kids.
1: Paul, that's and, brilliant, man.
2: Yeah. And, and, and so but, – but here's the thing is that pitching coaches are handing out Advil, quote-unquote, Advil and Red Bull because parents are going in and asking for Advil and Red Bull. In the form of let's throw a thirty-pound baseball, let's run a hundred feet, let's crow hop, let's throw a hundred-pound baseball, and let's let's and then let's throw a, a, a 05 five-ounce baseball um, as hard as we can. And we threw it one hundred and fifty miles an hour. That's great. It's too bad that you'll never do anything like that ever on a baseball field in your life. But it looks good in a 10-second clip,
1: dude. That is priceless. Oh. <laughs> um, Cause it's so true, man. You just nailed it. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you think, Zinger?
0: <clears throat> you know, I think anything that's you know worth anything that's going to last is is going to take the time to build. You know, and anything that's going to last is worth building. You know, and I think that that's obviously the solution here for people that are looking for the solution is to. To buy into the development principles, you know, and and buy into skill development, athletic, you know, development and maybe less focus on, you know, trophies and in tournaments, you know, and obviously you need to go out and compete at a certain point. But I mean, there's just there's too many people that are doing too many games, too many tournaments and not enough development, you know.
1: Yeah, because it's like you said, it's money, money, money. And there's a lot of people want to play baseball right now. And the money is what's driving it. So we just need more people, you know, like us that need that need to keep standing up for these kids and say, it's more important how we develop these kids than um, than, you know, what we put them into and how we make money off them. I mean, of course, you got to make money to stay alive. I get that. But if we don't have an underlying, uh, a, a core principle or foundation that is really all about these kids, I mean, what's the outcome going to be 20 years from now? Like Paul's saying, like, you know, these these kids are, they're going to play them, you know, they're going to get a couple, of th- two, three years out of them and just throw them away and go on to the next kid. And these cares, their yeah. kids' careers are going to be really good, talented kids. Their careers are going to be ending in their early 20s, <coughs> which is ridiculous.
0: Well, and then you talk about the effects of after baseball, I mean, you know we all move beyond baseball eventually or you know we at least have to you know eventually you're done as a player and I feel like a lot of these guys if they're bought into these quick fixed things I mean it's going to be tough to carry that over into life as well because I mean
1: a good great that, point that's it's a great
0: like point. baseball and it's gonna it's gonna carry you over you know and you're gonna get out what you put in and, and sometimes <clears throat> you put the work in and guess what you ain't gonna get the results you know, and you got to keep coming, and you got to keep coming. Whereas with the other, maybe mindset of the quick fix right now, you know, you're going to constantly be looking for the next best thing, and you know, are you ever going to find it? You know, versus really harnessing something and developing, you know,
2: something you love or something that uh, is important to you. I always, I tell, I tell kids and parents there's two things that you're told as a baseball player you should never believe. And the first one is that you're elite. I I spent 14 years coaching scouting in professional baseball. I never heard anyone call any player elite. Not not one time did I ever hear, that guy's elite, right? So you should never believe if someone calls you elite, because usually the person that's calling you elite um, usually has a sign-up form that comes after that that's between three and (laughs) $15,000. and then the second thing you should never believe is that you're not elite you know is that, that we have these 9 and 10 year old kids that say you know I find it very interesting that we don't expect uh, first year MLB players to be all stars we don't expect first year professional players to go to the major leagues we don't expect first round draft picks to go to major leagues we don't expect college freshmen to really dominate or start we don't expect high school freshmen to play varsity but if you're not elite by the time you're 10 you could just you could forget it you know you could just forget it and so what, what, I, what, what I see kind of uh, evolving from that is there's this really kind of bitter feeling that a lot of kids who are 14, 15, 16, or even 22 or 23, they have towards baseball. That was really a shock to me that guys feel kind of a little bit um, really have a bad taste in their mouth for the game because they feel like the game didn't give them what they were promised. And the problem is not that the game didn't give them, the game probably gave them whatever their ability was. The problem is is there was a lot of people that came before that that promised a lot of things that were based on those promises were really designed and crafted to be able to fill out a team and, and, and charge a registration fee based on your brand new classification of Elite. So I, I, I often I often deal with um, with coaches who will call me up and say, you know, this guy cursed me out over the phone because I cut his kid or he's not batting third or is not top of the rotation or not playing short or this guy's bad-mouthing me on social media and this father is like causing all this ruckus around the league because I cut his kid or his kid's on the bench or whatever. And I try and explain to the parents that that father is not mad at you. That father is confused. right Because you are the first person that told him his son is not, who every other person that came before him told him he was. And that's a rude awakening, and that is the father is confused. He doesn't know. The last five guys told me my kid was elite, and now he's in high school, and you're telling me he bats eighth, and he can't play short, he has to move to third base, or second base, or left field. Uh, no, no, you're, you're wrong, Coach. That father is in the state of confusion because of the promises that have been made. and. I mean, I have some a little bit of insider info on this because I know a few people. I know that regulation is going to come to that industry. It's going to take a while, mainly because kids are now pop, popping up on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, And literally, like, they laid out a plan, like, more or less, we, we we don't charge these kids and we fly them into tournaments to guest play on teams, which I don't know about you guys, but, like, how pissed off would you be if you were on a team and all of a sudden there's a guest player that comes in and like remember like in that in the, the 1980 hockey movie, The Miracle, when they brought in that guy like right before they were going to the Olympics and like the whole point of it was like to piss off the team and to unite. Like, I, I never understand this guest player thing, but basically in that article on Time Magazine about six months ago they said yeah this my son gets flown to this tournament and he plays on this team so this team can win a tournament and win a trophy and then that guy can go back to wherever he is and now go and recruit other players and charge them to play on the team that this kid was a guest player on that didn't have to pay to play and what's the interesting thing here well, is that I, basically, think,
1: I think bryce harper is the one who started that movement like yeah. that's all i think of you know
2: well, here's, here's the question I always ask everybody that that, that that kind of debates me on this. Okay, so obviously the kid's a pawn, right? The kid's being used for his early development ability. They don't care about this kid when he's 16. So right. he's being used. He's being used as, as a way of generating profit for that organization. And so this kid is a quote-unquote employee. But this kid, under law, can't get a job at Subway. <laughs>
1: Hey, it's it's a new strategy around child labor laws. <laughs> exactly, I did
2: a podcast on that. Like, is it child labor? Because it sounds a lot like child labor to me. Like, I'm no lawyer. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: Well, but you know, and you you're. Your, it's that theme that we're talking about. How baseball really? It's all about the money, and it's not about the player. I mean. And it is. I mean, all the way to the top, I think there's this illusion that you get a ton of respect at the top. I think you do from from the fans, but you don't get a lot of ton of respect from baseball. I mean, I just saw that tweet the other day from Marcus Stroman about how he was up devastated, how he lost an arbitration and he, he can't get the uh, the words out of his head of what the Blue Jays, how they were just basically tearing him down in arbitration. And and you know and he's supposed to play for this team that he thought respecting him and because that's how baseball works. I mean, you could be Marcus Stroman, you get no respect in this game, and and, and because that once again, it's not about the player, it's about the money, you know. Yeah.
2: And that's okay. Like, I don't have a problem with it being the money at the professional or college level. But my problem is how it's trickled down. Exactly. Um, it, right. Yeah, and here, so one of the things that we're working on. Um, And it's going to take us a while, just. But I I would, I we get a ton of emails per day, responses, you know, to our messages, and 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 I could, I could kind of like, you know, create one of those like beautiful mind charts, you know, the strings all over, and and those strings would lead back to about a dozen different organizations, that have consistently come up, where the sentence goes, my kid played for blank, and now he has insert injury. And, and we're trying to come up with something that will almost like a fingerprint system where if you put a kid in a game, you're a coach and you're 10 years old, or you're, and you're coaching 10-year-olds, you put that kid in the game, you're kind of metaphorically putting your fingerprint on his arm and a way to track that where I think that we can pinpoint with, with some real accuracy. It would take some time. But wait, who are the guys that are causing injuries. So there's this great story of this doctor is walking down the side of a lake with his wife and somebody yells, help, I'm drowning, and doctor dives in, pulls the guy out, resuscitates him. As soon as he gets that guy out, two more people are yelling, well, we're drowning, dives in, pulls him out, brings him back to life. Three more people, pulls him out, four more people, pulls him out, five more people. He's so busy pulling people out and saving them, he can't take the time to see who's throwing them in. And that, to me, is where I think I think there's I think there's probably a, a handful of people.
1: Hey, I, mean, I a think, handful of you mean, know throwing people, them I the think think those are people throwing them in the water in our industry. I said I know who's throwing them in the water in our industry, but I'm not going to say their name. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but here's here's what I've known too over over um I've learned in 18 years that um my father used to say if you give someone enough rope they'll hang themselves. And it's just time. It's just time. Yeah, I just, I just like, yeah, point to watch. It's just time because I, I see the, I, we, when the emails start to turn for us, and we start, start seeing the same names and the same things start turning up, and the same thing, we're just like, yeah, it's, you know, should we say something? Should we do something for the ball? Now nah, it's just. Well, time.
1: Paul, I mean, Paul, let's get serious. Like, when, when are these parents going to legally hold these coaches and these organizations responsible for forcing their kids? and poor player development that injured them quickly, you know, or seriously injured them? When, when is it going to become a legal issue?
2: Um, the, the, the reality is I think never. But yeah. um, what I do, I think regulation will come because the travel and all these things come. Here's why it's never. What we know is that somebody who signs up for one of our programs today um, in February, maybe in four weeks, might be out of baseball. Right? They might get cut in March, or it might be their senior year, or they might be 12 and they're just not going to play next year. And it's just not part of their world anymore. So we're in it for life, right? Baseball, I'll be in baseball for the rest of my life, so we use a little right. job. And so we see it from a different perspective. Um, but I don't, I don't know that, uh, I don't know, I, I, think, I think there'll be some regulation, like the bat people. The bat people, and I kind of know a little bit about this, is that the bat people were terrified that there was going to be some six foot two 12-year-old in Williamsport using one of those aluminum bats that they had, whatever it was, eight, nine years ago, and off some four foot 12 year twelve-year-old, and he was gonna connect on a ball and and god forbid hurt somebody. And so they so they they dialed it down because the bats were going in the wrong direction. Same thing's gonna happen here. There's going to be regulation because these these travel ball coaches and these tournament things—they're pigging out, right?
1: You know. Let's let's make this positive ball. I think we've done a really good job (laughs) of of defining all the uh, the horrible crap going on right now, and 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 we need to do that. I mean, you're not going to deal with it if you don't if you can't pull up pull it up and see it for what it is. And and I think we've done that well. So, let how do so what do parents need to do? If, if they are willing to put their foot down and say, no, I need to take care of my kid. I want him to develop this way. Um, what direction do we send them in?
2: So the first step when I coach dads is,
1: is the first thing is recognize that your son
2: is more than a baseball player. And that a baseball player is probably the lowest expression of your son's overall abilities. So don't box him into that during the prime developmental years of his life. Um, baseball can be a part of development. For instance, I have two sons. They're six and eight. I'm baseball's biggest problem. I'm 44 years old. I have two sons that are six and eight. My sons don't play baseball because I don't see a sane option for my sons. So right. they'll just wait. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll if they play later or they, they won't play at all, right? So my philosophy on this is that the most important number that we should keep in our mind as parents is 23. Because um, at the age of 23, give or take a year or two, our kids are going to take their first step out into the real world. And so I I do this this exercise called the 23 funnel where I take like a funnel and you kind of lay it on its side with the big, wide open side to the left and the smaller side to the right. And at the end is 23, right? So if if, if your kid's going to step off a bus in New York City or wherever they're going to have, they're going to start off in their career and they're going to get a job. What has to go into that funnel for you to produce a result called a positive, productive, Reliant, independent, resilient, self-sufficient, educated, 23-year-old ready to take on the world. Right. So for me, baseball is a part of that, but basically for me, sports is like the lessons they can learn. But, so I tell parents, do they, need to, do they need to understand that development takes time? Do they need to understand that they need to be more well-rounded? Do they need to, under, do they need to take a hard loss? Do they need to learn to play on a team when they're not the star? And they say, oh, yeah, well, are you willing to put your son on a team where he might sit at the bench? Well, no. Okay, so then you're saying that lesson is not important. Do they need faith? Do they need community? Do they need to meet some kids who don't chew seeds all day long? Do they, you know, because what I meet too many 23-year-olds who go out into the, who, who are, who spit out into the real world. They play baseball for the last seven, eight years full time. And then all of a sudden they go into an office where it's not cool for, like, everyone's not going to grow a beard you know, in the office and nobody's sitting speeds, uh, spitting speeds. And, and nobody really cares that you hit 4:30 last year. And all of a sudden the things that we relied on so much for our significance in the world almost automatically become like, nobody cares about them unless you're going to play on the softball team. So I I, I look at that and say, and, and as that, that funnel gets narrower, it's harder to get things in there. You know, it's harder to, to, to really, um, to make these, to, to give our kids these lessons and and these things. So I I, I just try and, and say there should be a balance of it. No kid, I think we all agree, like no, I don't think any kid should play baseball more than like six months a year. You know, I think there's, there has to be room for other opportunities. I had a dad say to me the other day, um, you know, when I was a kid my high school team, we practiced three times a week during the season. Now my son practices three times a week in the winter. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different, it's a different thing. And, and I just, you know, I tell the dads, what am I supposed to do about it? And I'm like, well, just, you know, don't play, you know, it's as simple as that, you know, you, you, it's your child, it's your, it's your, you know, find another thing for them to do or find another way for them to compete. Um, if your kid plays basketball, he is not going to become a less of a baseball player. If he plays, uh, uh you know, tennis or, or soccer, he's not going to become less of a baseball player if he doesn't play in the fall. In fact, my the guy who I got my second coaching job, his name is Ray Corn, legend here in New Jersey, won like a um, thousand games, something like that, and uh, he would not allow the players at Elizabeth High School to train for baseball during the offseason, which is a change for me. He wanted them to run track, play on the chess team, go on the swim team, play on the basketball team, soccer, football, because he said, if we're going to win a state championship, and when that kid's going to be in the bottom of the seven with two outs, he is not going to learn to compete in that situation by sitting in a batting cage in January. He's going to learn to compete in that situation because he's competed in a chess tournament or a basketball tournament. He's It is the competition that's going to drive him as a player. So... Um, that's what I would say. Is that is that understand that this is a a time of your son's life, and to look at the realities of of how possible it is to make it, um, at those higher levels, you know. So that that that's how I start most of my conversations with
1: with dads. Cool, Zinger. What do you think? What do you want to add to that? I mean, I think
0: that's huge because there is so much, especially when you look at guys that get injured too. You know, like myself. That was really the first wake up that I had, that there was more than baseball, you know, and that there was more enjoyable stuff, obviously, about life, you know, inside of that. Um, I think as a coach and as an instructor, I think a big thing is using baseball as a tool to raise young men, you know, better fathers, better, you know, better husbands, better people who go out into the real world, Um, you know, because as you know, the the guys who make it through the filters at each level, there's less and less and less and less, you know, and I think that the guys before that still carry the same value, you know, obviously as human beings and in our communities, um, kind of to touch on the cross training that Paul talked about. Uh, I think that's a huge thing. You know, I, I noticed it a lot, especially here in Arizona, you know, where guys can play year around, um, growing up in Michigan, that was not an option. You know, it was you were going to do whatever sport was the weather was going to allow you, you know. But here in Arizona, I see a lot of year round baseball where guys won't even take off competing, you know. So I think that there's got to be more balance, you know, in player development and then also in life development, you know, because although you'll learn a lot from playing baseball and on the baseball field and in the dugout, being a good teammate, all that kind of good stuff, you know, there's more skills that we need when we're done with baseball.
1: Definitely, man. And I mean, I I think people probably listening to this that are are really thinking, well, all I care about is playing Major League Baseball are, are, are thinking that this is just a waste of time. Of what we're trying to say like you got to be a good person it like all sounds very cliches but I, I think you'd be wrong i mean i understand if you're uh you know yasiel puig and you're incredibly talented and you're a, a, an attitude problem but you're just so talented you know some someone's going to deal with you um, i understand that but there's that you know guys that are still good enough to play professional baseball that are being more recruited by these low budget teams that these low budget teams are really trying to get to know them as much as because they know they're not the, the the top talent but they're still good enough and so they want to know more about them and they do want to know how good of a person you are they do want to know um you know how your routines how you prepare for this game how well-rounded are you so this isn't really just a bunch of hogwash <laughs> like this is legit like the majority of baseball players out there need to develop themselves as a human being as and as a man, in this sport because it is uh, attractive and, and seen at the professional level where you wanna be. It, it is something just as important as how hard you throw or how, how fast you run. So I just hope people listening to this aren't blowing a lot of this off because it sounds so cliche-ish. I think it is legitimate and it's not only legitimate for the individual, but this is critical for uh, baseball, for keeping the integrity in baseball or restoring the integrity in baseball, which we, we worry. And that's why it was so negative to start this podcast is, is, is going away. So, um, I don't know any, any last, let's do it. it's, it's been going on for a while. So let's close this up. Any last words on this, Paul?
2: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when you, when you look at, at how baseball kind of works, especially with that development as, as a human, right? we, you could be Yasiel Puig and you could be Bryce Harper. You know, we all secretly want Bryce Harper to get hurt. You know, every baseball player wants him. You know, like, let's just be honest here. You know, I just I feel like I'm a transfer. We all want that to happen. And, and, and the thing is that, you know, uh, it's all fine and good while you're hitting 300. You know, Bobby Knight got fired from Indiana because he choked a kid. But he, he was a maniac for 20 years. But you could be a maniac when you're winning NCAA championships. But you, but the, but he got fired because he choked a kid, and he was he was eight and fifteen. You know, if he was twenty-two and two, that that wouldn't have happened. And if and 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 Terrell Owens and Ocho Cinco and all, we could go on and on and on down the line. That and it'll happen to Harper, and it'll happen to Puig too. The minute that they can't do what they do at such an elite level, that people are willing to say, yeah, but. And the minute he just becomes like, okay, this guy's hit 330 and had 30 home runs at 150 RBIs and he's a jerk. Uh, yeah, but he hit 330. Yeah, and, and then pretty much when he all of a sudden it's 270 and 14 home runs and 78 RBIs, like eh, now he's just a jerk. You know, and that's kind of how, how how I think long term it, it it plays out. So, um, the development of who you are, um, like I I. I I always try to ask people like have, make a development make or make an argument for not developing that side of you. You're like what like you know like if you could go back and you could take a Terrell Owens or Ocho Cinco or some of these guys that were Red Dennis Rodman that if they didn't have these ultra over the top extra attitudes they maybe could have bought themselves a couple more years, right? They could have bought themselves a couple more years, which we do know a lot of them financially could have used a couple more years. Yeah. but all of a sudden when you're kind of like Johnny Manziel or some of these guys and you're riding high and everything's going good and all of a sudden you know you're not that good and you're kind of a pain that's when it goes away so for me I, I just you know we've we've dedicated a lot of time here um, at some of it at great cost to to our you know business here to to try and you know educate people that you know because we are seeing the other side of it and I get, I, I coach a lot of dads who call me up and say, I have no relationship with my son. I coach a lot of 23, 24 year olds who say, I don't have, I don't know what to do in life. I have no skill in life other than I got a nasty cutter. And, uh, but in my, you know, on my sales desk at, uh, you know, my real estate company, it doesn't really come in handy. And, um, so, you know, that's where I feel like we are. And I just think, you know, uh, taking some time, especially as dads, as parents, as leaders, as coaches to sit down and say, um, you know, what's best for this kid and is it really winning this tournament next week you know so that's my those are my
1: kind of thoughts on it thanks bro I really appreciate it Paul um and we love what you do man tell them about uh, your latest product or what you're you're pushing right now and and, and tell them how to find you
2: yeah, so we're, we're, we, uh, the thing I'm most proud of now is this, we have this book called The 567 Dad Baseball Edition, which you can get on Amazon. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's really kind of the work we've done over the last few years working with dads, specifically with coaching kids through baseball on how they can. You're not going to learn how to be a better baseball player by reading this book, but you'll kind of be better at everything if you read it. Um, so you'll definitely be a better dad. You'll connect better with your kid. kids, that are kids that connect better with their parents long term um you know the the stats are kind of through the through the roof on how kids do when they feel connected to their parents and and leaders in a a great way so you know that that we're we're very proud of and you know uh already baseball we've you know for 18 years been running and um we have all kinds of courses and stuff there that people can check out so um yeah those are the two things that are are cooking right now
1: and on social media how they find you
2: Oh man, that is a that's an interesting one because I am not uh, uh, they, on Instagram. I have an Instagram, uh, okay. so they got they got a, um, uh, Paul Reddick five six seven on Instagram. But I mean, uh, don't, don't get don't get you know don't sit wait, don't sit and wait for anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, but uh, yeah, the easiest way to probably reach you is through paulreddick.com.
2: Baseball.com. Yep, that's that's where I mean, that's really how we communicate through with people. Yeah, and then there's there, there are other social things there that you can uh, click on stuff like that.
1: Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for doing this. We'll definitely do it again because there's so much more we could talk about. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it right now. All right. Well, that was a good interview. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm glad we we brought it into a positive light at the end. I was getting worried for a little bit there with. Uh, that Paul that it was going to be so negative, because unfortunately it is, there's a lot of just crap that baseball needs to be dealing with. Um, but it did, it, it came up positive, and I think Paul um, is, is doing good work with this book that he's put together. Um, so, you know, uh, look into more on Paul Riddick as well, and, and Zinger, what do you think? Uh, how can how did you, uh, what did you get out of the interview at the end? I
0: thought it was, it was great to have Paul on the line, especially Coming from, you know, an experienced person, um, you know, to also have a way to help guys move on from baseball, whether that's at 12 or whether that's at 38, you know, for that next chapter, you know, and, and those valuable life lessons that we can learn. But also, you know, that there's so much more to us. I think no,
1: that's it. I mean, you nailed that perfectly. And, you know, it's one thing I tell my guys in camp. I, I say, I know you're coming in to, you want to play professional baseball and you want to throw 95 miles an hour, and I think that's all great and everything. And I said, unfortunately, I'm going to give you a blessing and a curse. I'm going to give you the blessing is I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you how to become a professional baseball player, and I'm going to show you how to throw 95 miles an hour. The curse is it's going to be really hard, and if you quit, what else are you going to quit on in life? Because if, if you quit on something that you are truly passionate about and love, then what how, what what are you going to do when something that you don't love and you're not passionate about you challenges you? You're gonna you're gonna quit again. So the point is, unfortunately, baseball is a great uh, model of, of how you're going to address and take on the rest of your life, and you really need to be serious about what you're doing because th- there's no better time for you to to to. You know get the support you need to um to you know have a a, a test run of, of of your efforts just you know if you fall you're going to have that support system um and and like you said this is something you love you know you're going to want to put the energy into it so there's no better time now than just to commit and work and develop yourself uh, comprehensively uh at this point in your life because if you this doesn't motivate you or if this doesn't push you to want to do that uh, it's just it's not going to get easier right zinger mm-hmm.
0: i mean i talked to a lot of old teammates you know especially as i was continuing to play for years and and guys were maybe fading out of the game but you know you miss it you know and there's there's certain pieces of it that are tough to maybe simulate in life you know the clubhouse aspect and you know being around all your best friends all the time and that kind of stuff but obviously we want to be able to move into that next chapter because we all have to go there, you know, whether we want to or not, <laughs> it's, it there's that next chapter. You know, I think everybody would play forever if it was their perfect world, but then, you know, the
1: well, What's, that old, what's okay. that old saying? Uh, I think it was Joe Lewis or some old boxer. He said, we all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We all want to throw 95, but nobody wants to work their ass off.
0: (laughs) For more than a week.
1: Yeah, right. I mean,
0: I I think a big thing, too, you know, with, with Paul's system and with the stuff that obviously we're both doing, but that, you know, a commitment to the process here versus, you know, expecting just immediate results. You know, the guys that, you know, and you know them and I know them, you know, but the guys that stick to the programs for sometimes five six seven eight maybe ten years those are the guys that we really see reaping the benefits you know versus the guys that come in for a month and go hard and then all of a sudden it gets hard or they think they plateaued or whatever it is you know and just like you said earlier what's going to happen in life when it's it's not baseball if you're quitting because baseball training's too hard <laughs> what, what, i mean what have
1: do you to look get, forward to <laughs> exactly no, that's it, man. And 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 the guys that commit in my system that, you know, I've been here for 2 years and they're they're just taken off with it. The best thing and the, the the biggest confidence I have is that it's legit at that point. That you know it's not just a fluke. It didn't just show up. That they just earned that and it's there for good as long as they can maintain, they got it. And so that's the other thing is people don't understand the longevity component of, of good player development uh, that if you put in the time you've done it right, it sticks around. It just doesn't show up one year and then go away unless you, you've completely walked away from what you've been doing.
0: Yeah. But if you stick with that process and the routines that it you develop. And, yeah, exactly. It just you, you, It's the, the reap and sow, you know, if you expect to harvest, you know, first you got to go through and beat up the land and then you got to come in and you got to throw in the seed and then you got to water it and water it and water it. And then, you know, there's there's equal, equal results coming out as well as the roots, you know, where you continue to to continue to reap and sow if you want another harvest, you know, season to season.
1: That's it, man. And, and the crazy thing is when those guys get to that in a couple of years and, and they're just, you know, well above where they were coming into it, it, it creates a new norm. I mean, my guys come in and they're working their butt off and then they're low 90s, touching mids, and now they're like, I wanna be upper 90s. But it's like, well, you gotta understand what you did to get here. Now, to, to get there, it's gonna be even harder because look at all the work you did to get to here, you know? So, the thing is, we always want more. The problem is, is people, unfortunately, the problem is people aren't putting in enough Um, I understand we all want more, but you just need to put in enough just to get to more than likely maybe the averages or to to get to a place to where a scout is going to at least give you a second chance. Um, And then after that, then you can start looking for more, you know?
0: Well, I think that's where, like, both, you know, the approach is is foundational. Where if, if you build a good foundation, you can continue to get better and better and better. But if your foundation is weak or if it's you know top down or whatever you want to call it if it's a uh, less of a real life foundation you're gonna your ceiling is so much lower versus if you build a really good foundation you can continue to build upon that you know and i think that's where as as next level coaches we have to be able to continue to progress stuff you know because the body the way it adapts you know that's why you know, it's easy to get somebody good in the first month or two when you train them. But, you know, when you got some guy for two or three years, you know, obviously the same thing's not just going to continue to work. There has to be a progression based upon that foundation, you know. And I think that's where, you know, the big strength in this program is, you know, is there's a a foundation of athleticism that guys can continue to build on, you know, skills-wise after that.
1: And I think the best part of the interview with Paul is when he said – he asks the dad, um, "If you want your son to have a really good game, I want him to take a handful of Advil and two Red Bulls." <laughs> and he's like, "And the, he's like, would you do that?" And the dad's like, "No." And he's like, "Well, then why are you gonna give him like all this other stuff, like running guns and you know extreme weighted ball throws and max distance throws? It's like, why would you do that? You know, it's, it, the thing is it's like." You obviously want to do what's right for them to get the result. You don't want to try to cut corners and take the more abusive road. Uh, why are you doing that in your training? Uh, unfortunately, I think people just don't know, you know.
0: I think that's a lot of it, you know. And I think that's once again why it's good that we do things like this to share with the people that do want to know, you know, and they want to maybe find a different approach than what they're seeing, you know. And especially, I think the injuries wake people up. You know, I yeah. think that it's unfortunate. You know, and it, it might be the ugly side, but also at the same time, you know, it can be the, the wake up call that people need as well.
1: Yeah, man. Well, it was a good interview. Let's uh let's think about let's get some more guys on here like Paul. Paul's on some high quality um was a high quality guy. So maybe we can get some more like Paul Riddick's on here, and then. Um, who knows i mean if if you ha- out there have any suggestions for us please send us suggestions we'll uh, be glad to try to get in touch with who you want us to interview and uh we'll go from there but uh, hopefully we'll have some more zinger here as well and doing the show with us and um look looking forward to the next episode how about you man yeah
0: buddy absolutely
1: all right well we'll check you the next time on the baseball offs.